Well, good morning. Good morning. Uh, the, the thoughts that I have on my mind this morning have to do with the, the second chapter of the book of James. Um, <laughs> it's very, uh, very common um, when, when someone uh, is told of the, of the doctrines of grace and of uh, Jesus paying it all at the cross and there is nothing uh, more to do on our behalf in order uh, to gain you know, eternal salvation. Uh, there are often times when I've, I have presented that in a way to, to people that they ask, well, why, do, why, do you even, why would I even go to church to them? Or why would I even um, bother to read my Bible or uh, help the poor, help those in need? Bother to do any types of works? Uh, th- that is often the response that you will get from people. And, and uh, in, in, this, in this passage in the book of James, uh, it's very important to, to as Thomas said, exercise right division to understand uh, what, what James speaks on here. Uh, the passage that I'm, that I'm talking about it starts in the 14th verse to the end of the chapter. Uh, that has to do a lot uh, with works and works with faith. Because oftentimes, uh, when, a, when someone does not fully understand what James is teaching here, it is very easy to, to confuse with believing that if you do not do any works, if you have no works, then, well, you're not, you're not going to go to heaven. You're not, you don't have eternal life. But that is not what I hope by presenting here that that is not what James is teaching. He says in the 14th verse, What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith, hath faith and have not works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding you give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God, and thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. Wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see then how that by works a man is justified, and not by faith only. Likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works, when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Now, if you were to just read that plainly without studying any other scriptures, you might would be a little confused, like I said, and think that um, if you have no works at all, then you know you might not you might lose the spirit, you might not have the spirit within you. But uh, I, I don't believe that's what James is teaching here. Because if we look at, for one, where does the where does faith come from? It's important to know where faith comes from. Because in the fifth chapter of Galatians, it teaches that faith is a, a fruit of the Spirit. And then in the second chapter of Ephesians, in Ephesians 2.8, it says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. And then if we also look at the 11th chapter of Hebrews, that uh, faith is the, uh, is the, uh, I don't want to misquote it. The substance of, faith, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Uh, faith does not come uh, by anything that we do. Uh, faith, is, as I just read, is uh, completely and totally from God. that is imputed to every child of God. But James still says that though a man say he hath faith and not have works, that his faith is uh, is dead. Now, I'd, <laughs> I, would, uh, I would stress to you that... Uh, we cannot take that literally to mean that if we have no works that uh, we that we lose our faith, that we lose our spirit. Uh, but I, I like to think of it that it's very much like a like a muscle. 
that if you do not use or uh, exercise over a period of time, that that muscle will, in, in a sense, die. Now it's still there, and it can be and it can be brought back, you know, and you can um, work it out to get some strength back into it. But if you do not use it and let it go dormant for so long, uh, it will it will in a sense die, become very weak. And uh, I think that is what James is very much teaching here. I think during this time, uh, the same thing uh, has happened today that's happened during James' time, in that there was a a very false sense that just because a a person had professed belief and had a you know accepted and believed the gospel that that was it and that they didn't have to do anything else that they didn't have a need you know need to come back no need to do anything else that their belief was uh, was enough that that was all that was important to them <laughs> but but even in the in the 19th verse James says I believe that there is one God I do as well the devils also believe and tremble so there was still there was still more there was still more difference and more that needed to be that these these poor brethren were missing that needed to be done, and that is uh, they needed they needed to work they needed to exercise their faith. And uh, in, in, in the twenty first first it says was not Abraham our father justified uh, by works when he had offered Isaac his son uh, upon the altar. Another uh, another. Uh, false idea that you might get from this is that your works are what justifies you before God. Um, <laughs> but if you go back to uh, the 8th chapter of Romans, what, I, what I've loved uh, that I've, I've heard this presented the best way is that with justification is that it's presented in uh, three different courtrooms. Just like, in a, just like in our day and age whenever someone is justified. Because what justification means is just to declare righteous. And uh, you'll, you'll see justification throughout the Bible presented in typically three different ways. And um, I, I've liked the, the, I liked it when it was presented that the, there are three different courtrooms that we are justified in. And uh, in Romans 8, I believe uh, Paul's teaching us of the first justification. We are justified in the eternal sense before God. It says in the 28th verse, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate, to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, who he, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. So you say, well, Paul says that we're already just that we already are justified by Christ, and you would be right. We are justified before God uh, by Jesus Christ and His sacrifice on the cross. <laughs> and there is, uh, and then, you, and then there is another justification that is mentioned also in the in the book of Romans. In the I think it's the fourth chapter. Yeah. In Romans 4, in the 5th verse, it says, But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that, is, that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. For even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Cometh this blessedness then upon the circumcision only, or upon the uncircumcision also? For we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. How then is that? How was it then reckoned when he was in circumcision or in uncircumcision? Not in circumcision, but in uncircumcision. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had yet been uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all them that believe, though they be not circumcised, that righteousness might be imputed unto them also. And the father of circumcision to them who are not of the circumcision only, but who also walk in the steps of that faith of our father Abraham, which he had being yet uncircumcised. And then in the, in the, in the fifth chapter, in the first verse, is therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So there's another justification right there that I, I believe is a very most important justification that a personal experience in this life is when they hear and believe uh, the gospel. You feel that justification uh, in your conscience. And a soothing to your mind to know that uh, do you have a redeemer, and that your sins are forgiven, 
and will not be laid to your charge. So, that, so there you say, well, okay, so I'm justified there as well by my belief. So what need have I to works? Because there's a, there's a third courtroom. There's a third justification that, that, we, that we see in this life, and that's the justification of public opinion. That's the justification of our brethren. If I were to stand up here and just tell you that I, I believe and profess God, but I did not live uh, in, a, in a righteous way, if I did not, uh, if I did not uh, try to help my fellow brethren and sisters, uh, that would seem a little bit hypocritical of me. That would seem, a, 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 as Brother Kevin says, we all have a little Pharisee in us. That, that would be pretty Pharisaical of me. But that can easily happen. I've had cases in my life where that has happened, where I might say something up here and then, Later down, later in the week, I might go against it. I'm like, well, wait, I just talked about this. I got to do better. Uh, so there is a there is a justification when we when we help the, when we help our, our brothers and sisters in Christ, and when we also uh, <laughs> worship our Lord. Uh, there are people I've seen. There are people I've known that they have not had to tell me that they have a, a belief in God, but I knew it by their actions. I could tell by the way that they uh, by the way that they spoke and the way and the things that they did. Um, in the in the book of <clears throat> in the book of First John, in the third chapter, in the third chapter, in the seventh verse, is little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. <clears throat> Any time you come across a person who is is doing righteousness, uh, you can be assured, without him saying anything to you, that you've come across a, a child of God. And someone who has also been justified before God. <laughs> my whole my whole point in doing this is that you know it's important as I believe James is stressing here is that it can be very easy for us to to simply profess a belief and think that's all that we need to do. That there is uh, no importance that we have and that the Lord is perfectly fine with us just not following uh, His works or helping our fellow brothers and sisters. And I think just as a uh, this is pleasing for us, you know, to, to come across fellow brothers and sisters that are anxious, you know, to help others and to help and, and to help us. Uh, that is also what we were called to do, just by by God alone. If it's not enough for you to, for the for public opinion that you say, well, I don't care what other people think. That passage I read earlier in Ephesians. This is what this is also what God wishes for us to do. When He says in the tenth verse, for we are His workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Wherefore remember that be being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called on circumcision by that which is called circumcision in the flesh made by hands. It, it <laughs> I, I pray and hope that we do not forget uh, what we are called to do and how we are called to live, because uh, you know just like in, it, just as James stresses that. When, it, when that muscle dies, when that muscle is allowed to grow dormant, I've had that grow dormant in my own life, it can be very painful and very hard uh, to get that strength back and to get that, um, to feel that assurance and justification that you once felt before. Thank you. Understanding of God's children to have, and um, you know we're we oftentimes say that I don't care what other people think. Well, we should, especially when we represent the body of Christ. We are His children. We should, in fact, you know the Apostle Paul told told Titus on how we are to live is so that others would not blaspheme the word of God, or that the word of God be not blasphemed. Um, by how we live. And that also in another place he says uh, concerning the young men, you know, sometimes uh, the apostle breaks things down in age groups, uh, older men, older women, younger women, younger men, and that the way the younger men are to adorn and carry themselves, and so they that are the contrary part cannot say anything evil about you. That is, that, that you, your deportment and your, your works are in such a way that they cannot, though they look for them, <laughs> but they can't say anything bad about you. 
uh, that, that you're, you're living such a godly life, which can be done. Uh, it can be done. And in fact, we're, we're commanded to live a godly life and, and only by the submission and, and yielding to the, to the right spirit in you. And you got a you got spirit of man and you got spirit of God. And, and the two are contrary, the one to the other. They're, 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 you can't mix them together. Uh, so the one that you yield to is the one that is the one that you'll display. And so if you yield to the Spirit of, of God, that is your display. And, uh, and others can see that, and they'll, they cannot blaspheme that holy name of God, uh, at least by what you're doing. I enjoyed it very much. Uh, the, the court system is right. There are, there are three uh, talked about in the Scriptures, and uh, Brother Cole divided them uh, quite well. Um, I want to go to the second letter to the Corinthians. You know, there are, um, you know, there, there's, there's always, it's kind of, kind of like a, kind of like these energy drinks, you know, or, or, or Kendra's teas that she likes. She, you know, there, when, when there's a lot of, of things packed into one little drink. And, uh, and so, so, the, so, so, you know, there's, so the result of it is, is it, it, it does exactly what's intended to do. It kind of wakes you up. Uh, and I, I'll, I, I don't drink those high ones, uh, but I'll, I'll drink some of, the, some of the energy drinks, and it does if you drive and you need it. So there, there's a lot packed in to one thing so that, so that it, the result that you're trying to achieve is done. And this is kind of what, I'm, what the, I see in the, in the fifth chapter of 2 Corinthians. God packs a whole lot in just a few verses. I mean, this, this is a week, and, and, and you'll see when we read these things, uh, it, it could lead to all sorts of other scriptures and, and the teachings of God. But there is so much that is, that is uh, given to us in, in a very few scriptures that we can, we can reach a rightful conclusion of most everything in the Bible. Uh, well, I say most everything. Everything concerning uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, the will of God, and and our and our uh, our obedience to Him, we can find here. So let's go to the fifth chapter of Second Corinthians, and and the you know there's always a a, a starting point with the Apostle Paul, um, so as to to convey to us. As a uh, as a as, as what the catalyst is, and that uh, what compels you, what drives you to do the things that you do, you know what what is uh you know what some people say what is my motivation, you know I, I got up this morning and, and, and I could have said what's my motivation to go out to the house of God, what it, what is my motivation? Well, if it's if it's anything less than what Paul's speaking of here, then I've come short of where Paul is. Now, in the 14th verse, the Apostle Paul says, For the love of Christ constraineth us. That is, that word constrains means to compel. So, so to understand the love of Jesus Christ, and listen, this, this, this goes beyond just thinking, well, he died on that cross for me. Hallelujah. I'm, I'm free from my sins. I mean, that's part of it. And don't get me wrong, and that, that is a, a vital part of it. <clears throat> but to really have the love of Christ to compel or constrain us as to how we reciprocate that love back to God. And that's what the Apostle Paul is speaking of here. Is that, you know, oftentimes we, we, we really diminish that love. Not in, its, not in its effect. I say not in what it accomplished. We diminish it in, uh, in the fact of, of, of how we respond to it. And if you, read the, if you read the scriptures, you know, the Apostle Paul finished his course as strong as he started it. And he didn't take any time off in between. And the Apostle Paul was beaten, shipwrecked, uh, starving, Left out in the cold, there's a lot that this man went through for the love of God. 
and the love of Christ. That's what constrained, that's what compelled him. It was his, that's his mojo, his driving force, his motivation to consider the love of God. No wonder that John would say, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God, that we have that title. We have a right to that title through our elder brother, Jesus Christ, that you and I can be called the children of God. Now that's important. If you want to know what, what, what the love of God is and, and, and the depths of that love, then the result of that love, you and I must understand deeply. And I talked last week about knowing God and then knowing about God. Now, this, this knowing here makes us know about God deeper. For the love of Christ constraineth us because... I always like when, when... Give a reason. Somebody give me... Paul gives a reason. Because we thus judge, we thus understand that if one, one man, died for all, then we're all dead. Now, what the Apostle Paul is saying, if, if one man, Jesus Christ died for all. Now, <clears throat> we do not teach or preach a universal salvation. Listen, if Jesus Christ died for every man and woman that's ever been born, then guess what? Every man and woman that's ever been born is going to heaven. We would preach a universal salvation. There would be no place, uh, there would be no uh, man anyways, that would ever go away into everlasting torment. They couldn't. If he died for all. That is, he died for everyone. Now, in the sense here, Paul is trying to, he's, he's going to make a difference so as to you and anybody else that's ever been born of God to make your identity marked with this. So as, as, as you understand that when Jesus Christ died, and, and, uh, and was hanging on that cross, and then uh, he gave up his gave up the ghost. He he commended his spirit. You know, uh, <laughs> you no know, the uh, uh, when when uh, when Stephen was being stoned to death, and before Stephen breathed out his last breath, he said, uh, um, uh, "Lord, receive my spirit." The Son of God commended his. That is, he freely gave his up at the right time. At, a, at the appropriate time, uh, uh, Jesus Christ commended the Spirit, gave up the ghost, and died. Well, guess where you were? You were in Him, right there. When they took His body and wrapped it, when Joseph of Arimathea took His body and, and uh, Nicodemus, guess where you were? You were still in Him. When they laid that body into that tomb, rolled the stone in front of it, guess where you were? You were in Him. You were just as dead in Christ when Christ was dead as you were when He rose again. That's the connection that every child of God has to the Lord Jesus Christ. That, that if He died, you died. Now you wasn't really, your, your physical being wasn't there as, as like you are right now. But you were so in Him that when He died, you died. When He rose again, you rose again. So the, the conclusion as to why the love of God constrains us to do what we do is that the Son of God died and we were in the Son of God. The Son of God rose, we were in the Son of God. The Son of God's coming back to get those that he died for. Now, <clears throat> we, we, uh, <clears throat> because we thus judge that, it, that this is the conclusion, that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, all right? The ones he died for, listen to what the Apostle Paul is going to say. The ones that he died for, that they which live. Why do they live? Because he did. I say they live spiritually. They live forever. That is, their, their, their souls live uh, in Christ forever. This, this, this soul that, was, that is quickened by the Spirit of God, the, the Spirit of God coming in, that's what Paul is saying here, that they that live, 
should not henceforth, from the very time that they are born from above, they're alive. Jesus Christ, listen, this, this, is, a, this is a work of God and, and not of any doings of, of anybody else. It is uh, solely and completely by the power of God. So the Son of God would say, uh, the time is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God. Whoever that is talking about, they shall hear His voice. It's different than the Word. The Word of God is different than the voice of God. The Word of God is important. It is not, but the Word of God does not do what the voice of God does. So Christ says the time is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God. And those that hear shall live. They shall hear, they shall live. Those that live, Paul says, should not from henceforth, from the time that that voice of the Son of God comes, they should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto Him which died for them and rose again. And the love of God compelled the Apostle Paul to, to live a life so that he could finish his course with joy. You know, the, that poor man was brought before the, the, one of the, the wildest lunatics and the meanest people that's ever walked the face of this earth, a, a, a Caesar named Nero. You know, and he, he was brought for him a couple of times. He, and listen, Nero had a, he had a, uh, an enjoyment of, of, of killing Christians. You know, whether they, whether they dip them in a hot, and boiling hot uh, uh, pot of oil or putting them out into arenas so that the lions would just tear them up. The folks that, that, that suffered that suffered because of the, Christ, uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ and their love for Him. You say, well, I don't really want that life. Be thankful we don't have to do that. Nobody, nobody does that to us. You know, we're, we're, we, we live in a, in a good time concerning that. <clears throat> but this man, the Apostle Paul, he did not let that deter him, did he? In fact, he preached. He preached to the palace, to Nero's palace, to the household of Caesar. And when it was all said and done, you know what? Apostle Paul had disciples in Caesar's own household. You don't think that ticked the man off? I mean, it, 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 made, it made Nero mad. He had, listen, he was baptizing people within the household of Caesar. He says it in one of the epistles. And uh, <clears throat> Nero, it was, it was in, uh, I believe it was 67 A.D. that Nero killed the Son of God, um, killed the Apostle Paul for, for, for his dedication, for his constraining love to the Son of God. And it was sometimes in, in, the, in the first of June, between May, between like middle May and the end of June when, when he did that, beheaded the Apostle Paul. Before the month of June was up, Nero killed himself. I think in, in my own opinion, I think God so gave that man such a dread that to live or die, he couldn't live in peace anymore. To take his own life was his only option. Now, if grace did not prevent for Nero, then uh, certainly he is paying the results of such a wicked life as he lived, which we all would if grace does not prevent. <clears throat> so, so, the, so Paul is saying the love of God constrains me to do what I do. It compels me. So that we are, <clears throat> so that Paul really did not, from the time he was born again on the road to Damascus, and I think he was, he did not live unto himself, did he? But he lived unto him which died for them and rose again. And sometimes that's not an easy calling. It wasn't in those days. We, I, I, sometimes I think how, 
how easy we have it. Really, we have it easy to worship. Uh, and I've talked to other preachers before too as, as, to, as to why in such an easy time do not people serve God. And, and, and sometimes our, our answers are they would do better if the times were rough. And who knows? That may be right. You know, there's a, there's a scripture that says, Woe unto them that are at ease in Zion. Zion being the church that just half-heartedly and carelessly move about while others, you know, went through such great trials. Well, we all must then un try to understand why did they love the Son of God to that extent? Why did the apostles, why did the early church love Jesus Christ to the point that they were willing to die? Because they understood the love of God. They understood it deeply. They understood that Jesus Christ, just, you know, when he died on the cross, he, 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 he really, I mean, he, he bore your guilt and my guilt. He didn't just bear our sins, but he bore the guilt of those sins. Listen, I, can't, I can hardly bear my own guilt. There's no way in this world I can bear Lofton's guilt and Cole's guilt. I couldn't do it. You could not bear yours and mine. And yet the Son of God bore an innumerable amount of people that no man knows except God Himself. He, he bore their guilt and then He bore their sins. I mean, that's love, y'all. That, that, that is absolutely the epitome of the word love. And, they, and he did that not because they're good folks. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't, he didn't die for the righteous because there is no unrighteous. No, not one. He didn't die for the little, little angel on this earth that goes around just... Uh, uh, doing good here and there. He died for the chief of sinners like Paul felt to be. Paul was a, uh, Paul was a sinner. Paul had religion, but Paul was a sinner, wasn't he? <clears throat> Paul was such a sinner, and when God showed him what kind of sinner he was, that Paul didn't know until God showed him, Paul then knew the depths of this love. You say, well, I don't do what Paul does. I, you know, Paul, he, 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 he wreaked havoc of the church, didn't he? I mean, he took people, I would never do that. You don't know what you would do in his situation. If you, had a, if you had the wrong zeal toward God, if you were in Paul's shoes back in those days, you may have been hailing people to the prison, consenting to their death, because they were Christians. But, you and I are the recipients of no less of a love than what Paul was. Now, that we should live unto him which died for us, and then he rose again. Wherefore? Now, here's a, here's a, a wherefore, then there's going to be a therefore. Wherefore, Paul said, henceforth know we no man after the flesh. That is to say this. That doesn't mean that Paul didn't know people in their, you know, their genealogy and who they were, brothers and so-and-so. That is, in the church, we do not know people after their, their, their fleshly genealogy. So, so, in other words, remember this time here, there's Jew and Gentiles in the church, right? This, this is a mixture of Jew and Gentiles. Somebody in the church might say, well, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a son of Abraham. I, I, my lineage goes right back to him. Uh, Paul says that doesn't matter. The Gentile over here that cannot trace a lineage back to, to, uh, 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 to, to Abraham is equal to you. It puts us on equal footing. No matter who was the richest, no matter who was the, had the greatest reputation in town, Paul said we do not know people after that manner in the church. There are no special favors to folks in the church. Folks who, who, uh, who, who take upon themselves a special favor uh, because of who they are, what they are, they take it on themselves. That is never given by God. Paul says we do not act that way in this church. Everybody's on equal ground because the Lord Jesus Christ, if they show a profession of faith, 
the, the faith uh, that uh, Cole was talking about, a fruit of the Spirit, everybody is on equal ground. So we don't know anybody here after the flesh. You say, <clears throat> oh, so-and-so's got more money. She would not play to him a little bit more. No, you shouldn't. In fact, James, uh, that same writer, James, says, do you, do you not understand that rich man draw you to the judgment seat? If you're going to show favoritisms in the church because of who somebody is, <clears throat> they're drawing you to the judgment seat. You're just yielding to gold. And that's God's judgment seat. And that happens on earth. That judgment is on this earth. Paul says, we don't know anybody after the flesh. Don't care if your name's Lofton, Daniel, Mayberry, Brother Carlos, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it's Wisner or anybody. There's a, uh, we're all on the same foot. All right. <clears throat> Though we have known Christ after the flesh, Paul says, yet we did not. At, 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 now listen, <laughs> what Paul is saying is, that, that Jesus Christ did not, did not, while he is on this earth in the flesh, try to exalt himself due to his lineage through Mary, which went to Abraham. Jesus Christ exalted his lineage back to God and professed that he was God and was with God. Now, the, the Apostle Paul is saying, if, listen, if, 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 if Jesus Christ didn't expect uh, exaltation through his natural lineage, that went all the way back to Adam. Mary, you look at, you look at the... Look at the uh, um, genealogy of Christ in the fourth chapter of Luke goes through Mary's family. Even though it says Joseph's father, it was Joseph's father-in-law. That's not uncommon. Goes through Mary's family. It goes all the way back to Adam. And Joseph's genealogy, which is in Matthew chapter 1, stops at Abraham. That's his kingly genealogy. The other one is the fleshly one. It goes all the way back to Adam. He was a son of Adam through Mary. But he didn't play that card, did he? Do not play that card. Jesus Christ didn't exalt himself except in himself. Does that make sense? So we don't exalt ourselves, do we? Because of who we are in our, as far as our, our natural ties go. We're only exalted in the Son of God, and that's it. So, therefore, therefore if any man be in Christ... Now, this is, this is an identity scripture if ever I saw one. If ever there's one in the, in, in the Bible, this is an identity scripture for you and I. This, this is how we understand uh, our position in Christ, our condition in Christ. And we do have one. Uh, remember that if Christ, if, if one man died for all, then they were all dead. And in that he died for all, that they from henceforth, from the time this, that they are new creatures, should not live unto themselves, but unto him that died for them and then rose again. Now you say, well, I hope I'm one of those. I do too. I hope I am. <clears throat> the, this, this scripture here will identify you in that way. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, notice the condition that this individual is in. They are in Christ. They're not trying to get in Christ. They're not hoping to get in Christ. They are in Christ. There is nothing about an individual that will ever change until they are in Christ. I say that in the sense, I don't mean no change of getting old or the change of clothes. I'm talking about spiritually speaking, there is no changes in an individual. So as David would say, because they have no change, 
Therefore, they fear not God. There has to be a change. You don't change your, yourself. That's why the, uh, uh, Isaiah says, can the, can the leopard change his spots or the Ethiopian his colors? No, he can't. Can't do it. Lofton cannot go from a dead sinner to a living child of God at my own beck and call. It's not my decision. That was not my decision. In fact, the, the, the decision... Uh, was fixed in eternity, a choice God makes for His people. For the people of God were given to Christ. They've been in Christ since before the foundation of the world. Listen, when you're in Christ after the new birth, that does not mean that before that you were not. Because you were. Paul said concerning such a thing as that, uh, God having chosen us in Christ before the foundation of the world... This, this work here that's going on in, in, in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is a result of that. A part of that choosing in Christ. You have never been outside the realm of Jesus Christ. If you're ever in Christ, you've always been in Christ. You'll always be in Christ. I mean, that is a sure system of salvation from a sure God, from a sure Savior, for the glory of God's sake, and that you and I should not live unto ourselves for that, but unto Him who died for us and rose again. Makes sense. Surely, surely to goodness that makes sense. That God deserves from us that we don't live unto ourselves. <clears throat> so if a man is in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away, Paul says. All things become new. You know, Paul, some of, some of the most confusing scripture, if you, if, you, if you read it, is Paul's explanation in Romans chapter 7 concerning the good that I would, I do not, that which I hate, that I do. It is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. You know, that, that goes on for a while in that... In that uh, so, the, you know, so Paul, Paul concludes this, that, oh, oh, wretched man that I am. He didn't say, oh, wretched man that I was. Paul doesn't say, because I was born of God, I ceased to be a, a natural man. No, that natural mind does not go away, does it? You ever think any sinful thoughts? Let's be honest. Of course you do. Of course you do. Does that make it right? It does not make it right. Don't consent to it. Don't entertain sinful thoughts. In other words, if you start having thoughts of sin and looking at something sinful or doing something sinful, don't entertain those thoughts. Hit your knees, whether you literally do it or not. Go inside, hit your knees inside your heart, and you pray for your intercessor to help you because what you're going through is not uncommon to anybody else. Don't ever think that, that, that everything that I feel, I'm the only one that feels this way. No, you're not. Everybody feels that way because we still have the nature of Adam in us. We have, and we have a nature that's, that's God's enmity. And that's what, what Paul said, that the carnal mind right here is enmity against God. It is not subject to God's laws. Neither indeed can be. So if you want to know which, which uh, spirit is governing you, is it the spirit of man or is it the spirit of God, uh, <clears throat> find out, look at them, are they, are they subject to God? If somebody is subject to God, has yielded their, their submission to God and says, uh, says this, whatever God says, that I'm going to do. Then you got somebody who is, who is really, truly following the new creature. That old things have passed away from them. That, not that it's gone, but they do not follow this anymore. They can't enjoy it anymore. You know, sin cannot be enjoyed in a child of God, can it? I say, now, <clears throat> let, me get, let me say that correctly. Sin should never be enjoyed by a child of God. If sin is enjoyed by a child of God, then that individual has sinned enough that God simply has turned his back on them. I say turned his back. I didn't say forsaken them to eternal doom. He can never do that. He can never, ever do that. So that the conscience 
of the new man, the new creature, Jesus in you, Christ in you, the hope of glory, which Paul says we have the what? The mind of Christ. We've got the mind of Adam. It's lost in his mind. And we've got the mind of Christ, right the opposite of mine. He has a perfect mind. All of his mind is is for his own glory and your good. Now, yielding to that mind, that submission, because the carnal mind won't do it, will it? Can't do it. So that people who follow the carnal mind simply cannot please God. They that are of the flesh cannot please God. Now there's, that's a positional scripture, but let's use it in this context too. If Lofton follows after the mind of Lofton, I can't please God. In fact, I'll, you know, it's never a wise thing to take up arms against him, is it? That's right, Brother Carter. It's not wise to take up arms against the Almighty. Gamal said that. To the to, to all the the, the uh, uh, hierarchy of the of the of the Jewish uh, leaders, if this work be of God, who can overthrow it? Lest ye be found perhaps even to fight against God. Not wise. Not wise. Uh, all right. So if you're a new creature, then you got new feelings, and not before, but after. So then the Apostle Paul says, and all things are of God. <laughs> now listen, we, we, uh, brother, brother Cole read you some of those all things, didn't he? We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are the called according to his purpose, not mine. God didn't ask me to concede. God does not say, Lofton, would you please give up and let me into your heart? I would like to abide there if you'll let me. And that is not who God is. God doesn't need permission from the sinner to dwell in the sinner. The, the, the new birth or the new creature is a work, is one of those all things that are of God. Brother Cole mentioned that. We know that all things work together for good. And he says, for whom he did foreknow, God did. Them he predestinated to be conformed to the image of Christ. Is that a bad thing to think about? that God would have a people to be conformed to the image of His perfect Son. Now, who would argue with such a thing? I, I would not argue with that whatsoever. Uh, that is the only system of salvation. All right? <clears throat> now, those, he says, he justifies. Brother Cole talked about that justification before God. The courts of God. God provides His own offering to satisfy Himself. Those that are justified, he calls. And then those are called, or I think called first, then justification, then, then glorification. In the, uh, so when he says all things are of God, Paul simply means that this, this new creature that you have is a work of God. All right? And then he tells us how and why. All things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. Now notice, notice the language that God reconciles us. Now the word reconciliation uh, <clears throat> means there, that it denotes that there is a problem that is fixed. All right. <clears throat> so it's, 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 uh, it's, like, it's like an accounting term also. It's, it's like if you... Listen, when, when, when Ginger, she does our reconciling, when she sits down to reconcile our bank statements, you know, and, and you look on the debit side, and she just keeps going and going and going and going. You hope there's enough to balance out on the credit side. You know, hope for this month that I don't come out behind. That's called reconciling because here is something against me. I'm in debt. I bought something. Now, I may have paid for it cash, but I may have borrowed something. Borrowed money. If I can never pay that debt off, then I can never reconcile that account. And at that point, if I can't pay it off, they can come get whatever it was I borrowed that money for. Now, when it comes to God and sin, 
The only thing that you ever attribute is the debit side. There was no credit from you. Your side is filled up with red numbers. <laughs> sin, 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 sin. Broke the law, broke the law, broke the law, broke the law. The only thing to balance out every bit of your sin and put it away was God reconciling you to himself. And he tells us the means, Jesus Christ. Paul says in the, in the, uh, the letter to the Colossians, uh, Therefore, making peace by the blood of his cross, he hath reconciled us to God. How was peace brought? By the blood of the cross. What wiped out the debit side on every one of these that are that, that God that was in Christ, that when he died, they died, when he rose, they rose, that are new creatures, that God reconciled you to himself. He had to do the work. He didn't ask you to be reconciled, did he? Not in this sense. Not in the sense as to bring peace between God and you. You know, we sing that song, there is one mediator, there's a daysman. That's what that word daysman in, in first chapter of, of, uh, of the Gospel of Luke means a mediator. There's one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. And Brother, brother Tim uh, wrote in that song, uh, had one hand on the heavens, and one hand on the earth. And that's what mediators would do back in the earth. They'd actually put a hand on, on the offended party and the offender, uh, and, and, and they would bring peace between them two. And so when Brother Tim uh, writes one hand on the heaven and one hand on the earth, guess where the hand on the earth was at? You and every child of God. The other hand is on God himself. So that now through the blood of Christ, through the sufferings of Christ, on the cross, there is now peace. Now, that reconciliation is one of those terms by which God teaches us how we are able, and, and um, not just able, but we have the boldness, the authority to enter into what? The holiest of holies through the blood of Jesus Christ, Paul says to the Hebrew brethren. You have the boldness, you have the authority. Now that does that shouldn't exalt any pride in us. God forbid that we that we uh, boast in anything except the cross of Christ. That's what I'm trying to boast in today. I hope that you're trying to boast in that Christ by be, by bo boasting that cross of Christ by being here today. That is that is our hallelujah time. That is our moment, uh, uh, friends. That 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 we get to understand the depths of God's love. The the love of God constrains me. To do this. It's diminishing that love if I do it not. I'll never match. What I am intended to match. If I don't reciprocate the love that God has for me. God had a love for me. God had a love for you. God had a love for every one of those that were in Christ. Go look at the cross. There is where that love was shown. Uh, the the uh, John said... Uh, uh, in this was manifest the love of God toward us that He sent His Son to be the propitiation for your sins. In other words, that sacrifice reconciled you to God. That's how God worked this out. That's one of the things that God works out on His own without your help and mine. <clears throat> All right. All things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and then he hath given unto us. He didn't just leave us without knowing this. He hath also given to us the ministry of reconciliation. I get to preach about it. You get to talk about it. I mean, I hope you would talk. I hope you would hope that you do talk about it. And say, if somebody's in conversation and they say, uh, what do you believe? What's, what's the primitive, what's the primitive man's belief? Well, I believe that God was in Christ. That God reconciled me to him by the Son of God. And that I'm a new creature. And my old things are passed away. So that I know that I am 
a child of God and what a great love that is to know and that God satisfied himself through Jesus Christ. God didn't ask me to satisfy God. God does not ask us to do things or command us to do things that we simply cannot do. So you get to talk about reconciliation. And when you do that, guess what you're talking about? The ministry. Now this, is, this, this subject doesn't change, does it? <laughs> I don't have the right to change it. Nor why would I? Why would I want to change it? What a glorious, glorious God we have, y'all. What a wonderful God to reconcile us to himself. And then Paul says, had given us the ministry of reconciliation to wit, as if to say, this is how it goes again. If you didn't get it that first time, let me get a little bit deeper into it. That God was in Christ. Not that Christ wasn't God. This is not a, this is not a Godhead scripture. That is that the will of God and how God is to save his people were in Christ. So, so, so as, as uh, Paul would talk about in the Hebrew uh, uh, letter, uh, sacrifice and, and, uh, and offerings thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou, prepared for me, uh, hast thou prepared me. I come, O God, in the volume of the book it's written with me, I come to do thy will. Amen. This is the will of God. Christ said himself, this is the will of God, that of all which he hath given me, every one of them, I should lose nothing, and I'm going to raise him up again the last day. That's the will of God. That's what, that's what was in Christ. The will of God was in Christ. Listen, uh, God put the whole stock of salvation into one man's hands, the only man's hands that can get the work done. The only man that Isaiah would write about, that his work is before him and his reward is with him. You were with him before his work was finished. You were with him when his work was finished. You were with him when he went to the grave. You were with him when he rose again. You're going to be with him in heaven. I don't know anything better to say. If that does not compel us to serve our God, I don't know what else would. That is a wonderful doctrine. It is the only doctrine to save. All things are of God. That God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Not trying to. You say, well, the, the, the word world there, that throws me off. Don't let it. There is a world that God so loved, is there not? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now that belief, don't let it throw you off. As if it's a condition. It's another identity. If you're a believer in Christ, guess what? You're a part of that world God so loved. It's a great multitude of people. John saw the vision of it in Revelations. Chapter 7 said it's a multitude that no man can number of every kind of tongue, tribe, and nation of people. Now, <clears throat> there, and that is the same world, by the way, that Jesus Christ says in John chapter 12, now is the judgment of this world. When was their judgment? It was when Christ died. Your judgment has already happened. Your judgment was poured out on Christ. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. I'm going to, the, the prince of this world, that's the devil. That, that's who threw us into sin, was it not? Was it not the old lie of the, of the serpent that, that, uh, that got Adam and Eve back in the, in the garden that plunged you, plunged me into sin? So Christ says, now is the prince of this world, the world I love, cast out. God is going to afflict me with their sins. So that, this, so that, so that their sins will never be laid to their charge. Uh, who can lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifies it. Who can lay anything to your charge? Can somebody say, <clears throat> Kennedy? Listen, you're not going to go to heaven because I saw you doing something you shouldn't be doing. Unless you repent of that sin, you're going to go straight to hell. Uh, how can they lay that to your charge is how I would like to know. That charge, listen, that's already been laid upon one man. You shouldn't sin. and you, you'll, you'll suffer for the sin because God chastises his people. But uh, nothing can ever be laid to Kennedy's charge. 
Nothing's going to put something back on the debit side. If they could, then the blood of Christ is really useless. And he simply got up on that cross and did the best he could and needs the help of a wretched, vile, corrupt, vain person like me just doesn't make sense. The reason it don't make sense is because it's not right. That God was in Christ reconciling this world to himself. Not imputing their trespasses unto them. Never a sin will be imputed or charged to them. They were all charged to Christ. Oh, Isaiah said concerning, concerning the Lord Jesus Christ, that the uh, all like all we like sheep have what gone astray. Notice they were sheep. They were sheep when they went astray. They were sheep before they went astray. They're sheep after they went astray. All we like sheep have gone astray, and the Lord hath laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Oh, blessed be the Lord Jesus Christ, y'all, who bore your sins, so that you'll never be separated from God. There's nothing ever going in your debit side again. <clears throat> Not imputing their trespasses unto them and hath committed to us the word of reconciliation. Isn't this a lovely word? Isn't this gospel glorious? No wonder Paul said the glorious gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now then, Paul says, we are ambassadors for Christ. The ministry is, I am, and every minister that is called of God. We are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us. As though we are standing truly in the place of God. If we're preaching the truth, we're, we're listen, we, what we put out is, the, is, is like God standing here. You say, well, if, if Christ was preaching, I would think different. Friends, I would too. And, you know, if that was the case, but listen, he's not coming back to preach like he did when he was on this earth. Next time he comes back, it's going to be power and great glory. <clears throat> but he does put ministers on this earth calls them to this office. And when they speak, they speak as an ambassador of Christ if they speak the truth. It doesn't mean preachers can't get it wrong. <clears throat> Paul didn't get it wrong. <laughs> Let's read Paul's writings. All right. <clears throat> we are ambassadors for Christ as though God did beseech you through us. We pray you in the place of Jesus Christ said that ye be reconciled to God. Not the way God reconciled you to himself through Jesus Christ, but that you be reconciled to God, go back to the first, that we henceforth should not spend the rest of our time serving ourselves, but him who hath called us, him who hath died for us and rose again, so that, so that we simply yield to God. The commandments of God, we don't say, not for me. Not for me. What, what kind of answer would that be? Not for me. Taking up the cross and, and losing your life for Christ's sake, not for me. I want to live to myself because I am self. And, 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 and listen, I appreciate the blood of Christ as much as anybody, but I will not serve him the way he commands me to. It just takes too much effort then you don't understand the love. The love does not constrain you like it should. The love does not compel you because you don't understand it. You simply don't know the depths of it. Once you know the depths of it, and you can get there. That is called perfecting that love. That love toward God has to be perfected. It is not in you in the beginning in a form of perfection, though that love is a perfect love. <clears throat> But in us and how it affects us, we have to perfect it. We must perfect it. So that is the reconciled. That's how you are reconciled to God as God is your God and you are his servant. <clears throat> and then he finishes out with one of the with a, a most wonderful scriptures. Listen, if you ever want to, you ever traded a football card? I did back when I was young. I would trade football cards. Sometimes I felt like, hey, I got the better deal here. 
And sometimes when I got done, and then, you know, a couple of seasons later, I think, hmm, they, 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 they got the better deal because this player is better than the one I got from them. But listen to this trade, all right? This is a trade. This is a transaction. You won't get a better one. <clears throat> for he hath made him to be sin for us. That's love. As if, God, as if Christ committed everything you've ever done, thought every bad thought you ever thought. He hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. Though he never thought a bad thought or did anything wrong. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. God conveyed your sins and everyone that was in Christ. Conveyed them off as if they took them off of you. And come over here and just laid them on the Son of God, the Lamb that was slain. He takes the righteousness of the Son of God and the fulfilling of that law, keeping it to its perfection, paying its debt, takes that righteousness, comes over here, places it on you. You are the recipient of the best transaction that has ever passed in this world. And that's it. And may God give us all the love enough to compel us, enough to compel us and constrain us, to be reconciled to God and serve our God as long as we have breath. May the Lord richly bless.